You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simont, a game study scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Today it's time for a little bit of a special episode. So we are not going to do our usual side quests. We're going to have one topic that we talk about. Sometimes we do this just for fun, because it's fun, because it's entertaining to talk about video games that apparently do not exist. Yes. This is, I've been looking forward to this since we came up with this idea. This is one of my favorite <laughs> things to do. I don't know how productive it is, but I'll tell you what, I get a lot out of it. <laughs> when I was a child, I always liked to come up with video games that I would love to play, video games that I would come up in my head with and that I would literally think about how they would feel, how they would play. Mm. I would make up cutscenes. I would make, I was like, I love to write stories. And honestly, it's still one of the things that I would like to do is make a, an actual game yeah. or contribute to making an actual game. I've fumbled around with Twine a little bit. But today we're going to talk about only games that do not exist, at least not in the way that we're going to talk about them. We're just going to make stuff up. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The, the double-edged sword of doing this is that it's a lot of fun to talk about. And listeners, I imagine at the end of this conversation, you'll say, oh, man, I'm sad that they're not around <laughs> these <Yeah>. games. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to pitch you some things. And maybe, maybe, who knows, in the future it might come true. The rules were to come up with these titles that each of us brings five mashups that do not exist. So these are either... It could be a game or a series that does exist, but we reimagine it as if it were made by a different development team. Or it might alternatively be the case that we basically just put together two different video games or two different video game series and say, wouldn't it be cool if we saw something like this? It's not unprecedented in the history of video game culture. We know that such things happen like Elden Ring, where it's all about, hey, what would happen if we had From Software cooperate with George R.R. R. Martin? Who knows? We're recording we'll this show before Elden Ring comes out. <laughs> if you hear it, it's probably after. So, well, <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I've got it. Shall I start with my first proposal here? My first yeah. pitch? Go for it. Okay. So my very first thought, as I thought about 
what kind of games would I like to see done by a different development studio is a series that I very much enjoy, mm. but I don't really enjoy that many games in this series, if I'm being very honest. And this is Pokemon. Yes. I would love to see Pokemon made by level five games. Mm. This is my dream. Because the thing is, for me... Like, I acknowledge that Pokemon is one of the most iconic and also economically successful franchises in the world. Pokemon is huge and has accompanied me since my childhood, since I was like, I don't know, 12 years old, maybe. And I really loved the first instances of Pokemon games. I played them like all day long. I was completely lost in this world. I watched the anime series, which I rewatched recently, at least the first couple of episodes. Still funny. I was like... <laughs> wow <laughs> that was but that was really cheaply produced wasn't it yeah it was <laughs> it was but it gave us it gave us the gem of we can't let american or i guess european children know about onigiri so uh, these are jelly donuts thank you brock <laughs> ah jelly donuts is that how they translated it Onigiri. Yeah, so it's, they, you know, little rice balls, and Brock would make them for Ash and Misty, and every time they had them, they would say, these jelly donuts are delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Not that the Western children come know to any ideas is. about eating actual, like, seaweed or something. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, the thing is, though, that as the Pokemon series progressed, it kind of declined, in my perception. It got very repetitive, there are constantly like new Pokemon coming out. I can't keep track of it at all. Like I've completely lost sight of the roster of Pokemon that exist. For me, I know of the first 120 something or 150 something. Yeah. And, and the other ones, it's like very select, a very selective knowledge of it. And the last game I played in the series was uh, Pokemon Sword. I always felt like Pokemon Sword, it is... It's not a bad game at all, Sword and Shield. Oh, sorry, wait, I played Shield. Yes, I have Shield, not Sword. So I enjoyed these games very much. It was fun, but the Pokemon series at that point just became kind of stale to me. And I feel like Game Freak, the development studio, the original development studio of the Pokemon games, kind of is... I don't know. I don't want to say they put in little effort, but they put in a lot of effort in new Pokemon, but not really in making an actually engaging game world with interesting mechanics, with an interesting story or interesting characters. It's all kind of just centered around you have to find these new 100-something Pokemon cute. And and that's kind of what it felt to me. You know, can you relate to this this feeling? Yeah, I can. I think so. I had a very similar experience. We've talked about it. I love Pokemon growing up. And I, I think I stuck with it longer than you did a little bit because gold and silver are very precious to me. In fact, my first like meta analysis moment from a video game comes from gold and silver when the final boss of gold is you from red and blue. That always, that blew my mind as a kid. But I do kind of think that's where the innovation stopped a little bit. And yeah, they. I've talked before about how I always give them a try because I I hold Pokemon so near and dear to my heart. So I always give them a try. And if there's not a hook that keeps me going, then you're right. It is kind of just, okay, well, there's some new Pokemon and the story's basically the same. The setup is basically the same. Arceus is very different. We'll talk about that 
at some point. But yeah, they, they do get stale pretty quickly, especially as you get older, I think. Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, you've played Arceus, so you've got yep. uh, a glimpse into the future of the Pokemon series. I haven't played that game yet. I'd only know of your impressions and I know of the reviews that I've mm. watched and read, which I found interesting, yet at the same time still felt like it's cool. There's some innovations in there, but it still kind of falls short of what I would want of a Pokemon or, or what I could see a Pokemon game to be. I think that my stance on it would be Sword and Shield is the culmination of what I would call the old Pokemon formula. It's, mm. I think, the best version of Pokemon, and it did a lot of things right. Like, it cut down the number of Pokemon that were available so that you had a, a doable Pokedex again. The music is great. The story is fun. The characters are well-written. It feels like a really good Pokemon game. Arceus feels like the first step in a brand new direction. And it's yeah. not perfect. It's not crazy, but it's there's glimmers of wow the next one could be really something special yeah it's from what i understand correctly it's not a uh, breath of the wild in the sense no. that it's the pinnacle of the series but it's more like it's an experimental step in a direction which will be which will come to fruition over time yes i would say <laughs> it it kind of feels like this is a weird comparison but it's the first one that came to mind it feels like persona 3 <laughs> Okay, mm. a lot of cool ideas. You're not Persona 4 yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, okay. I understand that. And at the same time, I think we have got such a fantastic development team, such as Level 5 Games. Yeah. I really love them. They are amazing. They made Nino Kuni, for example. Mm. They also made Dragon Quest, which is a long-running series. So Level 5 Games is one of the most established and skilled and qualified and just fascinating development studios when it comes to jrpgs mm. they have paired with I, I don't know his name but the person who makes the designs for um dragon ball akira toriyama yes yep for for the dragon quest series mm. and they've worked with stadio ghibli studio ghibli <laughs> for uh, nino kuni so they are very well versed in cooperating with people or like other kind of creative minds that influence the kind of look and feel of the games or more more look than feel i suppose and i could imagine just imagine how it would be pokemon just it's just called pokemon the game yeah oh, pokemon cool. by level five games and they apply all the knowledge that they have from their previous RPGs, because we know that in Nino Kuni, for example, you have an expansive system where you can acquire familiars, which can join your party and you fight mm. with them. Amazing. In in my mind, Nino Kuni is kind of the better Pokemon game, if I'm being very honest. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, it definitely, I think, makes the relationship between you and those little creatures feel a lot more precious. Pokemon has a lot of different ways to do that with the like affinity system and, you know, petting them and all that stuff. But something about Nino Kuni, like winning them over instead of just beating them up is, <laughs> is kind of lovely. And man, th the other thing to point out too, Nino Kuni, both games, uh, one and two Revenant Kingdom have such a, have such a heart to them and their story to see a Pokemon story told with that level of storytelling that level five implemented with the studio ghibli connection that would be really cool yeah i totally agree i think that's probably the crucial thing that i'm missing because the pokemon games they are supposed to be pretty accessible they are supposed to be pretty simplistic when it comes to its combat and 
I can understand that they are games made for, well, let's say all ages. Yeah. And at the same time, I think that level five games could pull this off, but engross it in a kind of world and imbue it with characters and with a sense of heart and the sense of presence in that world that would be, to me, a lot more interesting and appealing than all the other Pokemon games we've <laughs> seen so far. So for me, my big wish is make Pokemon by level five games. Now, this is, of course, not going to happen because <laughs> the thing is that this is a Nintendo franchise and yeah. uh, level five games is a multi-platform development studio. Technically, it would be possible that they would do it. But, well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see about it. I It would be my personal wish. It would be kind of, that's what I would love a Pokemon game to be. That's why I think yeah. the potential of the series truly lies. It's unfortunate that I can't see Game Freak realizing that potential anymore because I think they laid the foundation and they made so many games that I think maybe they should move on to make something else while Level 5 Games gets a shot at making a true, expansive, huge Pokemon JRPG. I would love to play it. Mm, coming out next summer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, from the sublime to the ridiculous, my first one is... <laughs> I, I want to see Resident Evil get the Metal Gear Rising Revengeance treatment. And what I mean by this is you have a series, Metal Gear Solid, Hideo Kojima's great series, right? And it's it's silly, but for the most part, you know, it's it's a very serious kind of story. It's very long. There's a lot of parts to it. Then you have Metal Gear Rising Revengeance come in, and it's just like an explosion of of character and crazy cutscenes and incredible combat. It was made by Platinum Games, so it feels great to play. There is a feeling amongst the Resident Evil community that Resident Evil reached a fever pitch of this is too action-y. This is silly, right? Resident Evil 4 kind of rode the line perfectly. Resident Evil 5 comes out. You have Chris Redfield... <laughs> punching boulders and Wesker screaming at him and all this stuff. And then six, who knows what happened with that game, right? Yeah, with zombie shock. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we're seeing kind of a renaissance of Resident Evil where it's going back to its survival horror roots with Biohazard and Village. And I love that direct. Hmm. But I would love a game that embraces the silliness of Resident Evil to the point that Metal, that Metal Gear Rising Revengeance did. I think the tone of that in the world of Resident Evil with insane action and Dead Rising style weapon co combinations and all this stuff, that would be a lot of fun to play. I think you're on, the, on a good track there because especially since Resident Evil is so much focused now on being a first person survival horror game that is, yeah. well, it's, it is serious to a certain degree. It's storytelling is more dramatic it's character development more organic even though they have over-the-top characters but yeah uh, but but still they, it seems more well grounded relative to what resident evil is i think it leaves a an open gap for such a thing like a horror a slasher over the top i don't know anime style yeah. <laughs> resident evil kind of thing and platinum games would be excellent for that i think they would and i think also i have a a real fondness for Japanese developed games that take place in America because it's a it's a particular kind of view at American culture and history and how we react to things. Resident Evil I think is a really great series for that. 
because it's as if we, I always felt like Resident Evil shows a view of the world where America is the B movie of the world. Yeah. Where, where it's silly action, it's cheesy horror, but there's some kind of heart to it that you feel, which I guess is a optimistic view of the American outlook. But um, I think that given the the story of Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, where the main villain is a senator that mm. gets beefy and just punches the living daylights out of Raiden, I think it would be a very fun satire of American culture. <laughs> I would play that. I would play that. Is it going to be like called Resident Evil Revengeance or something? <laughs> I think Resident, Resident Evil Remageddon. That's what it would be. <laughs> Remageddon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh god renesis <laughs> oh you know renesis but the re stands for resident resident evil, evil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i think it'd be a lot of fun and uh, i love i i guess i just really this is my shout out to metal gear rising revengeance which is one of my favorite games because it's it exists in the world of metal gear solid and it just that that disconnect to me is so beautiful i love it so much yeah but that's a really good point because the thing is that there was indeed something there in the silliness of resident evil mm. while i would say that they made uh the right decision of bringing going in in a completely different direction with biohazard and village i must say i enjoyed also this kind of over-the-top action of at least resident evil 5 yeah. for a bit it went on way too long but yes and resident evil 6 a bit as well i played both of these games in co-op mode and it was it was fun like it was not not scary at all it was completely no. silly and fun and i think going into that direction and just doubling down instead of basically kind of being held back by the idea that it must somehow be still a horror game yeah that could truly liberate this part of what resident evil is exactly i also have got a proposal for platinum games Yes. We, interesting that both of us thought of Platinum Games probably because, I mean, they are one of the most high-profile studios when it comes to Japanese over-the-top action games. They also, they also feel like, hey, you got, a, you got a product that you're not sure, you're not sure how it's going to do? Get Platinum on it. That'll yeah. probably boost it. Yeah, they'll do it. They'll do it yeah. somehow. And the thing is, they made games such as, they made Neo Automata, right? That's also yep. Platinum Games. Yep. Neo Automata, Astral Chain, Bayonetta, of course. And I think a very underappreciated title of theirs is Vanquish. I don't know. Oh, what, yeah. Do you know Vanquish? Yes. Yeah. Vanquish is great. I, it is a kind of space shooter where you are this hard-boiled dude. And you can't... I remember that back in the day when I played it, I just chuckled while playing this game. It's like bullets <laughs> are flying everywhere and you can like dodge roll and jump around and shoot at everything. You can like jump behind an obstacle and or leap behind an obstacle and go into cover. And then in order to distract the machines that you're fighting, you can just casually light a cigarette, <laughs> take a couple of drags, and then you flick it out of the obstacle and the machines detect movement and they shoot at the cigarette. But while you're, you're basically storming at them in slow motion. That's and great. It's wonderful. It's yeah. a wonderful game. Vanquish. <laughs> it was so over the top. And I think Platinum Games has a lot of potential, which is why... I would like to see them do Devil May Cry. Mm. Because we all know... Your favorite. <laughs> yes. Because the thing is that I 
I always maintain the stance that uh, Devil May Cry, the best Devil May Cry that exists is the Devil May Cry called DMC made by Ninja Theory. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're, this is, this just, is one of your hottest takes, I think. <laughs> it's one of my hottest takes. And, Devil, and, and if I may add that Devil May Cry 6, in comparison to that, was a pretty bland game. Five, <laughs> so, five you mean, yeah? Sorry, five. Oh, yeah. I apologize. Five. You're making Devil May Cry one, but, 6. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. Exactly. That was Devil May Cry 5, not 6, of course, because the other one was just called DMC. So, yeah, I do think that Devil May Cry cries for a new development team. And since, like, the standout features of this series are pretty much over-the-top action and, like, a very intricate combat system that requires you to memorize combats and to be, like, really finicky and quick with your fingers. And it's also a lot about style. It's just yeah. about being cool. It's not so much about you want to, like, save the world or whatever. It's just that you want to get into that flow of combat that feels almost like a rhythm game. And it's all about, you know, how stylish can you be? Platinum games are perfect for that. So unfortunately, Ninja Theory is no longer available as far as I'm aware for the DMs for the Devil May Cry series. They've had their shot. I think they did a fantastic job, but many others disagree. I think Platinum Games can pull it off. I think Platinum Games can realize the potential of Devil May Cry. Well, it's, I mean, there's definite precedent, right? Because of course, Hideki Kamiya and Bayonetta have the Platinum Games connection. So that's definitely in their wheelhouse to do this kind yeah. of style of, you know, really over-the-top, funny, stylistic gameplay. I think it'd be great. Because maybe that's what Devil May Cry needs, is, um, you know, just take the, sort of like what you were saying with Pokemon, take the franchise and just give it to a different development team and see what they do with it. Because it seems like it worked with Ninja Theory. Yeah, it seems to be a common thread here that mm -hmm. we kind of take games that exist or franchises of which we think they are running a little bit stale and yep. then reinvigorating them with the perspective of a new development team. Yeah, I think I think that'd be a lot of fun. I think, you know, Hideki Kamiya is actually coming up kind of because he's got Resident Evil connections. He's got Metal Gear Rising connections. So maybe we just need Hideki Kamiya to make all our games and give them <laughs> <Yeah>. the Platinum <laughs> Games. Just make all of them. <laughs> yeah. Just make all of them. Next Rayman game, just make that as well. That's fine. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What have you got on the list? Well, my next one. So as I am contractually obligated to bring up Kingdom Hearts at least once every day. There it is. Kingdom yes. Hearts. So Kingdom Hearts mm. is already a fun mashup, right? It's Square yeah. Enix meets Disney. That's kind of the whole crux of its existence. But now that we're we're in a new era of Kingdom Hearts where my theory anyway is that we're moving away from the Disney stuff. It seems that with the end of Kingdom Hearts 3 and the most recent game, Melody of Memory, they're kind of leaving the breadcrumbs. That, there's actually like a specific line where Riku is told he's going to a new place and he says, oh, maybe I should bring Mickey. And the character says, Mickey can't help you where you're going. To me, okay. that feels very coded as we're, we're going into Square Enix territory now. We're not doing as much Disney stuff. So if that's true, that's a bold move. And when I was thinking about how you could do a different directorial shift, the person who came to my mind immediately is the lovable weirdo Yoko Taro, creator oh. of, of Nier and Drakengard. I think a Kingdom Hearts game as told by Yoko Taro would be a really cool philosophical evolution in the story of Kingdom Hearts. 
he is so preoccupied with what it means to control an avatar, what it means to be kind of a a chess piece in a game that you're controlling or maybe you have less control than you think. And that is exactly where Kingdom Hearts has been going for the past 20 years. And I think Yoko Taro could really bring it home in a way that would be weird and obtuse and basically everything that people think Kingdom Hearts is, Yoko Taro could probably take it in that direction. <laughs> I think so too. I think that potential is definitely there because Kingdom Hearts to me always feels like well, it literally is two worlds. It is mm. the this kind of very approachable, accessible, and immediately cute and entertaining angle of Disney with lots of familiar franchises and series. And on the other hand, it is a kind of like abstract, over-the-top story that seems to be very intricate, at least from an outsider's perspective. I've only played the first two Kingdom Hearts games, which is apparently completely insufficient to understand even the basics <laughs> of the narrative. <laughs> and the thing is that I do think that Yoko Taro would give an interesting angle on this. However, economically, it would be a disaster. Yes. The thing is that <laughs> because if you do that, then you br I think you would bring along a whole lot of people that are into Kingdom Hearts, such as yourself, but you would at the same time lose everyone who enjoys Kingdom Hearts for the Disney tie-in. Yeah. That I think be, it would be a spin-off, I suppose. Yeah, kind of. I think uh, it would, it mobile, would be cool. Mobile game. <laughs> a mobile game. Yeah, a mobile card game. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. And I think it's, this comes down to more of like a conversation of the future of Kingdom Hearts, because as we, as we continue in this world, absolutely dominated by Disney, Disney is getting, at least the way it seems, they're getting more and more iron gripped on their properties. And they're not as, when Kingdom Hearts originally came out, Disney was, you know, it's, it's Disney, but it wasn't like the, the mega power that it is right now. It was still, it had had its renaissance. It's obviously a big entertainment company, but it didn't own half of the entertainment world. And so now you kind of see it in Kingdom Hearts 3 where there's this reticence on Disney's behalf to give the freedom to kind of do what they did in the past games. And so as much as it would probably leave an audience out, I do think that the Kingdom Hearts audience who sticks around for the plot would would stay around and kind of appreciate that Yoko Taro is taking it in a completely weird, different direction. So you're right. It would economically it would be a disaster, but artistically it would be fantastic. Artistically it would be fantastic. It would be one for the critics and it would probably be one of these games that would come out that would kind of fly under the radar because people hear like an announcement of Kingdom Hearts and then they imagine like, okay, there's going to be Donald Duck or something. And then it turns out it's some weird creature that wears some kind of upside down mask. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Emil shows up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then it's like, uh, what's going on here? And then there's somehow there's like Sora in there, but it's kind of a grim alternative sort of reality where he doesn't know, I don't know who he is, for example. Well, yeah. I guess it's not new in the Kingdom Hearts series, but something along those lines. And ultimately it all becomes very philosophical and suddenly René Descartes makes an appearance. <laughs> uh, we're going, you know? yes, we're going to the, this world. It's called France. We're yeah. going to learn <laughs> all kinds of things about yeah. philosophy. Oh man. Well, yeah, I have, having uh, a cup of tea with Sartre. Oh, that'd be and fantastic. And then the, the thing is, that would be completely fantastic. It would be a game that, first, nobody really buys, except for those that are 
super into either Kingdom Hearts or or Yokotaro uh, works. And then, though, I could imagine this to be something that gets, like, pretty good reviews. It has its downsides. It's not for the mass audience, but it's obviously, it's in itself an enjoyable game. And then five years later, it basically is being remastered for the next generation of consoles when people think, oh, wait, it's this. And then everybody thinks, hey, this is coming back. Kingdom Hearts something, something. Yeah. Mm, okay, that I thought that was this game that way back then flew under the radar. And all of a sudden it's getting smashing reviews. That's the kind of story that I could imagine for it. I think that's spot on. It would, it would be the near treatment. It would be, and then yeah. the, the big game would be whatever the equivalent of near Automata would be. The follow-up would be the big one that gets people's attention. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a pipe dream perhaps, but one that I relish. I relish it with you. I would definitely play that. <laughs> I've got one, a fairly abstract one. I'm not sure yeah. what this would be myself, but the thing is, I would like to see a mashup between the game developers at the Chinese room and filmmaker David Lynch. I love this idea. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, just for those that are that don't, can't really associate anything with the names. The Chinese Room, they made games such as Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, which is one of my favorite walking simulators where you walk through a small British like village and everyone has disappeared and you are slowly unraveling the story of what happened to the people. It's not really a mystery in a sense that you want to know what happened, but it's more about taking in the sights and feeling and being exposed to this kind of, yeah, sublime, uh, sublime experience of being completely alone in this village and discovering the remnants of, well, whatever people left there, including parts of their souls. They also made Dear Esther and Amnesia, like very psychological games. And most recently, they made Little Orpheus, which completely flew under the radar. This is an Apple Arcade game that I also played. Uh, very, like, you know, stylistically inspired by, I think, you know, the early Russian silent film. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a platformer. It goes into a completely different direction. Interesting. Then I thought, well, a walking simulator... I love walking simulators, but imagine it's stylistically inspired or in cooperation with David Lynch, because I think David Lynch is one of the filmmakers of our time that I very much appreciate. He did things such as Lost Highway, Blue Velvet, Twin um, Peaks, of course, the Twin Peaks series, and my favorite film by him would be Mulholland Drive. Yeah, these are all very niche in a sense that they are uh, uh, niche. Yeah, they are, they have this very like, you know, late 80s, mid 90s kind of feeling and they are very mysterious. Yes. They are abstract. A, a David Lynch film is a film that you watch where you think at the beginning, okay, that's kind of creepy. That's kind of weird. And at the end, you have no idea anymore whose character is who. <laughs> yeah. You, and I, it's, I'll, I'll come out and say David Lynch is one of, if not my favorite directors and maybe one of my favorite artists of all time, because to hear him talk about his artistic creations is so, is so sublime that I, all I can think when I hear him talk is I wish he would make a video game. He'll never do it. He will never do it, but I, I really wish he would, <laughs> he would be but so great does. at it. 
he does like he's very much open to experimentation in certain ways. It's true. Um, for example, I've seen a, a Netflix thing that he did where <laughs> with he the monkey. Did this, yeah, with the monkey. I don't yeah. remember the name anymore exactly, but it, it's Jack, like I think. something with Jack. Yeah, it's a yep. an interview where David Lynch playing him, and he doesn't play himself, but he himself plays the role of like a detective who inquires into the 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 misdoings or the misdeeds of a tiny monkey that basically can seemingly speak it's completely absurd absurd yeah. surrealistic it's in black and white and so on it's it's really interesting and i do think that the kind of mindset that applies to the art of david lynch would lend itself perfectly to a walking simulator i agree and i think that He's he's so adept at I, I don't think there's ever been a creator, an artist, a filmmaker, a musician, anyone I can think of that has depicted what a dream feels and sounds like than David Lynch. And to have a walking simulator go through his machinations with how we perceive dreams and nightmares and other realities would be so great. And I, and I know that you you had that Radiohead experience, right? Um, yeah, uh, Radiohead Kid Amnesia is, is what it's yeah. called. I remember, it's a didn't free we... thing that yeah. you can play on. If you have a PS5 at home, dear listeners out there, you can download it just like that for free and uh, walk through, let's say, the audio worlds and soundscapes of uh, Radiohead. And you said that that's that's probably pretty close to what we're kind of imagining here. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If there's a if there's, well, no, if there's the Chinese room developing of walking simulator in cooperation with David Lynch, yeah. I could definitely see Radiohead or Tom York composing the soundtrack. <laughs> oh, I would love it. It would be, again, you talk about things that are maybe only for us. That would be, <laughs> yeah. that would be so good. <laughs> it would definitely feel like a lucid dream. And at the yeah. same time, I would love if it had some kind of Twin Peaks influences of some character development and you explore maybe a small town and you unravel its weirdnesses. I actually am like, it's been a while since I initially had this kind of idea that I would really love this kind of thing. So you remember, you may remember a game called Dreams. Oh yeah. Which is a game, a PlayStation game in which you can make your own small games. I reviewed that back when it came out a couple of years ago. And then the first game, like a walking simulator, like a, a very tiny one like a five minute walking simulator mm. called package which uh, is very strongly inspired by lynch where you are like you drive you basically st step outside the car while you're driving through the night and you kind of walk around and the headlights are kind of blinding you and you have to fix the engine and suddenly you find like a like heels on the floor like women's heels and you walk down a small path where you find a package addressed to a woman which you kind of have the urge to pick up and deliver to that woman. So you go back to the car uh, where suddenly the leaves on the trees are like glowing as they wave through the, through the wind. It's like really deep midnight kind of atmosphere. And then yeah. you drive off. That's the first part of this thing. I would have loved to continue. I started making a second part, but I don't want to talk about it for too long. <laughs> no, Yet, it sounds really cool. This is, this, is the kind of, this is the kind of vibe that I could imagine for such a game. I would, I would love it. Yeah, I think... You know, I, I did say he would never do it, but he's such a surprising man. I mean, he might, it, he would have, it would have to be organic from him. He would have yeah. to, and plus I think he's so in love with cinema as an art form. If you ever want to get lost, 
down a YouTube rabbit hole, just look up David Lynch interviews because yeah. he's one of the most fascinating people alive, in my opinion. And man, I would love a game by him. And he's got an amazing haircut. He sure does. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. let's move on. What else do you have on the list? Yeah, I have one that it's it's the same game, same developer, but different time periods. So I want oh. current day Naughty Dog to make a Jack and Daxter game again. Why would you want that? <laughs> <laughs> because I think I'm a huge fan of Jack and Daxter. I love those those games. And to me, there's a lot of connective tissue in their storytelling in those games that went on in their later game in Last of Us and the Uncharted series and things like this, where there's certain themes that they're looking into, like destiny and and history and things coming back to haunt you and all this kind of thing. So I think it would be really cool. I'm not talking about a gritty dark reboot. I don't like talking about, you know, stuff like that. But Jack and Daxter made by Naughty Dog today with a really poured over story and this open world of the Jack and Daxter world, whether it's from the first game or from the second and third game, I think would be a lot of fun. You could even do, really, you could do all three stories in one retelling. And I think it would be a a cool love letter to where Naughty Dog had this fun transition from Crash Bandicoot to their serious stuff. Because that's what I see Jack and Daxter as, is the weird adolescent years where they were trying a lot of things out and kept what they liked and got rid of what they didn't. That is true. When you think of the games that Naughty Dog made, it's very much like, almost like a child growing up. Very Crash much. Bandicoot to Jack and Daxter to Uncharted to then <laughs> The Last of Us. The Last of Us. Where you completely reach the nihilistic realization that there's no <laughs> meaning in it. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, there's one issue I see with that idea, and that is Ratchet and Clank. Ah, okay. Mm, because I feel like, I mean, I only played the first Jack and Daxter game, and I feel like Ratchet and Clank by Insomniac Games is kind of, they kind of won the, the competition between these two uh, series and they are now filling this kind of slot in the Sony roster already, you know? Here's my counterpoint, because I would agree with you if it was only Jack and Daxter 1, because Jack and Daxter 1, well, Jack and Daxter is a very Banjo-Kazooie, Ratchet and Clank style game where it's a collectathon. There's a main, a silent protagonist with his chatty sidekick. Jack 2 came along and said, we know that people love Grand Theft Auto. We're going to make this the edgiest game <laughs> in the world. Jack's going to say things like shoot and darn, and it's going to be really edgy. And then Jack 3 kind of came back and said, okay, we're going to put the edginess away for a little bit. It's still got some edge to it, but we're not proving ourselves. And I think Jack 3 was... A, a fairly not a I guess I won't say adult, but a, a more grown up version of this story where they kind of put the edginess aside, and I think that Jack and Daxter with that tone of you know sort of a young adult Jack, maybe twenty twenty five, who's trying to figure out who he is in relation to this crazy history that's going on in the world, would be kind of right in their wheelhouse, and I would like to see them do that, and I think that that can exist with Ratchet and Clank because Ratchet and Clank feels more like a Pixar movie to me. Yeah, I was just struck as soon as you mentioned his age, like, you know, how, how old he would be and how he would maybe also traverse an open world to basically could be a wonderful telling of 
of of adolescence really of coming to adulthood coming of a coming so. of age story kind of it's to me that's what the the trilogy is is because we see jack as a as a very young kid in the story in the second game and i i guess spoilers for the jack series but it's it's a story of kind of cyclical destiny where they boiling it down they end up creating this prophecy by trying to avoid the negative outcome it's one of those stories where it's it feeds into itself and the third game really launches into that where there's this historical figure that you keep hearing about this guy mar who created this city to protect everybody and you come to find out that was jack right and it it, it was this legacy that kind of built up and got to told through time and it turns out he was the one to do it and then it got thrown into the future lots of stuff like that so still sounds like wretched and clank <laughs> <laughs> but i will say that you're spot on because it is the story of somebody realizing who he is and i think mm. that would be a very cool story to tell of, of coming of age at that particular point in your life where you don't you're an adult technically but you don't really know who you are I could even imagine them doing something like, you know, they did these smaller games that tied into the Uncharted series. Mm. I forgot their titles just now. They were basically like add-ons or like, you know, The Last of Us. I forgot its, I forgot its title. The Ellie DLC, basically. Yep. Mm. I could imagine maybe taking something. Imagine Naughty Dog. They obviously, they probably will not return to Jack and Daxter in no. that way because they are, they went off into a completely different direction by now with Uncharted and The Last of Us. But I would find it very interesting for them to kind of revisit that world and that lore and, the, and these stories in like a smaller, compact game, like in let's say six to eight hours thing. Yeah, um, maybe, I think yeah, something of around that length. Yeah, it would be it would be a cool thing for them to do, and I think. You know, if um, now Crash Bandicoot's not in their hands anymore, it's being developed by uh, what is it, Toys Toys with Bob that or Toys by Bob, something like that. But I think that shows that people love this IP that Naughty Dog has put out, and I think there's plenty of Jack and Daxter fans that would be willing to pay for that and play through it. I know I'd be one of them. Well, I've got two more on the list. These two are a little bit more vague in conceptualization in comparison to the ones that I've done so far. Number four that I have on here is maybe something that's quite niche, but I think it would be interesting. It is about a series that I played when I was a teenager called Broken Sword. Mm. I'm, I Are you aware I'm... of Broken Sword? No, I'm not familiar with this one. First of all, I want to say to all of the listeners out there that are versed in the German language, this is the original title of the series Baphomet's Fluch. It had a completely different title in, in Germany. It was like The Curse of Baphomet, but its original title was Broken Sword. It's by a British development studio called Revolution Studios. And it was a series, I think, in the mid-90s to mid-2000s. There they were like five entries in the series. It was kind of paralleling Monkey Island, but oh, it was a okay. little bit less silly than Monkey Island. It was more... A little bit more serious. It was not entirely serious. It still had this kind of, you know, point and click comic style thing yeah. uh, to it. But it was not as over the top and fantastical as uh, Monkey Island was. Mm. And that's what I really liked about it. And 
I thought of this series recently while playing a completely different game because I played Hades and I very much enjoy the character designs and the world designs that Supergiant games produce. Sure. Right? They made Bastion, Transistor, Hades, and Pyre, I think. Pyre was in between. Yeah. That was this kind of game. They are very experimental with their genres. They make like isometric action games with intense combat. They make a game that's about a fictional kind of football game with Pyre. Yeah. And I thought something that they could probably do really well, since they are so good at crafting, engaging stories with interesting and very beautiful hand-drawn characters, is a point-and-click adventure. I, I'm i thinking of their, because I'm not familiar with Broken Sword, but I'm thinking of um, that particular style. And I would love to see a return to point-and-click with that kind of art. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah, just imagine with this kind of design a point-and-click adventure that is set a little bit more like it could be in contemporary uh, France or the UK potentially and it's it's probably going to be about it's a little bit Indiana Jones like in the sense that there's some kind of crime or some kind of mystery that needs to be solved and it's told in a way that is rather humorous but it's not completely over the top it's not like pick up monkey yeah for right. example, you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah i think i think that would make for a really charming game it's especially because the broken sword series has kind of gone off track they experimented with various different styles and recently i think broken sword 5 was one that was not particularly well appreciated there's a Kickstarter campaign currently running from the, I think, original creator of the series who wants to do a kind of different or kind of return to form. There's also the potential of a Broken Sword 6. It's all not very clear. So I think uh, Supergiant Games could really bring this series back to its roots by delivering a very beautiful point-and-click adventure. Not to mention the writing that they would bring would be fantastic. Yeah. So the writing, the music. Yeah, mm. I'd love it. Well, I have um, <laughs> going in a different direction from the relaxing point and click to a frantic uh, Dynasty Warrior style game. Ah, Dynasty Warrior. Yeah, I would love, um, and I'm surprised this doesn't exist. It may be in the works, I don't know. A Final Fantasy uh, Musou type game. So Musou is the genre for like Hyrule Warriors, Dynasty Warriors, the you're an overpowered character kind of hacking and slashing through hundreds of enemies. Yeah, um, it's from what I understand, these hmm. games are very repetitive in the sense that you slash hundreds and hundreds of, of enemies. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of like something that from the outside at first looks rather mind-numbing because you're just doing the same things over and over again. But it has a certain a very specific charm and appeal that has very much grown on you, right? Yes, very much. Especially after playing Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, that game. Because you're right, it, uh, from the outside, it does look very repetitive because you're it, you're just hacking and slashing through all these different enemies. But the way that that game sets it up is that different characters have different abilities and different monsters have different weaknesses. So the real fun of it is getting into the groove of getting rid of those hordes of enemies as quickly and efficiently as possible. And I think that Koei Tecmo has been on kind of a, a run of these lately because they did 
Hyrule Warriors. They also did Persona 5 Strikers, which is a great Musou-style game. Which is actually this month. We're recording in February 2022 mm. on PS Plus, right? I think so. I yeah. downloaded that on my console, Persona 5 Strikers. Really fun follow-up to Persona 5 and a really fun Musou-style game. And I think that Final Fantasy would be a lot of fun. And what I'm imagining is, did you ever play... No. No. So that was... I've heard of it. But... Uh, it was kind of middling, but it was Final Fantasy's fighting game. And I think that Final Fantasy sort of offshoot games are always kind of middling, but they're always really fun. So I, I think that Koei Tecmo, clearly they have a relationship with Square Enix now that they're doing the Neo-style Strangers of Paradise. I think it would be great if the next step was a big hack and slash beat em up like a Dynasty Warriors game. Now, here's the question. Would this be an original story within the within the Final Fantasy, let's say, let's call it a framework? Mm. Or would it be a tie-in to pre-existing Final Fantasy lore and characters? What I'm imagining would... Because Hyrule Warriors is is its own story, right? But, but with so, Zelda characters, right? And, right. And, and in Hyrule. Yeah. yeah. And with, with the pre-existing lore and stuff. It's its own story, but it exists in that framework, like you say. Same with Persona 5 Strikers. That's an actual sequel to Persona 5. But what I'm envisioning is, similar to Dissidia, all of the main characters from the different Final Fantasy series, they're all... Actually, a perfect parallel to this is the Dragon Quest Warriors game that came out, where characters from the different games for some contrived reason, are all in the same world and they are they have their story that they're all working towards, but that way you can play as Cloud or Yuna or, you know, Terra, different Final Fantasy characters with their different skill sets. It'd be fun. I want to play, I want to play as Auron. Oh, that'd be Auron, so great. <laughs> Auron from Final Fantasy X, who was always, yeah. when, I, when I started playing Final Fantasy X, there was this, this grumpy man who always had his, his arm in a kind of, how did a you sling. call that? like a sling yeah. yeah he was kind of like it's really just his jacket but <laughs> it's, it's really just his jacket yeah. and it's kind of just he doesn't really have an injury or something it's just for being cool as yeah. far as i'm aware but yeah it would be it would be really amazing especially coming up with an idea of how to tell a story that merges or that brings these different characters and these different worlds because final fantasy this is always set in a completely different world yeah. usually like the main entries at least to kind of meddle them all together yeah, I think I could imagine, I could imagine that, yeah. Yeah, I think it'd be, if nothing else, it, it would be like Dissidia, where it's not, it's not a groundbreaking Final Fantasy story, but it's fun. What would it be called? It must be something with warriors. Yeah. Final, Final, fi Final Warriors, Final oh, Fantasy Warriors. No, I know what it would be called. You ready? The Warriors of Light. Why the Warriors of Light? Because that's the, from Final Fantasy 1, the main heroes are the Warriors of Light. That's a motif throughout the games. Oh, that would be perfect. Okay. Yep. Final Fantasy One. I've only played that for like ten minutes, and I thought, oh no. <laughs> Fair enough. That was still the first Final Fantasy game. Was still like a bit. It had a bit of Zelda style thing, right? Going for it. A little bit. It was. I mean, it was still turn based, but yeah, it was a lot of going from town to town, going into dungeons. It's a. It's a. It's a good game in its own right, and they still. I mean. Every game pretty much references it. the the Warrior of Light, the main character from that game, is a big returning motif in Final Fantasy XIV. That's what your characters are called, basically. 
it shows up in a lot of different Final Fantasy 15 has a lot of references. So it always, well, Stranger of Par- Strangers of Paradise, this new Koei Tecmo joint that they're doing is referencing the Warriors of Light in the first game. So I think nice. right for opportunity. Dropping some video game history here, video game yes. knowledge. Amazing. Well, my last one is about a series of which many people wish that it would return, including myself. Mm. And that is Silent Hill. Yes, applause. Because Silent Hill was great for a long time, and it kind of fell from grace. Now, there were quite some hopes that it might come back and it might return to form in a cooperation between Hideo Kojima and Guillermo del Toro. Now, we know that that didn't really pan out for the time being. They did this wonderful teaser uh, of PT, extremely creepy in itself, which has been completely obliterated by Konami in a desperate attempt to make it go away that nobody shall ever hear that this thing was actually, that this thing actually existed, which only made it even creepier and more <laughs> famous. <laughs> well done, Konami. <laughs> but the thing is, it might still happen. There are some indications, we spoke about that on the show as well, that there are still some indications and some clues dropped by Kojima and by Guillermo del Toro that they are still kind of thinking in that direction. Yeah. However, I envision something differently. I think this could be amazing, but let's assume it falls through. It doesn't happen. Then what? which kind of developer studio could come around to bring Silent Hill back on the map? And I think, literally, and I think <laughs> that would be Ninja Theory. Again, I bring up Ninja Theory because Ninja Theory did Hellblade. Yeah. And Hellblade, I think, is a game that is very much about... It's a game about psychosis. It's a game about madness. It has an intense but very minimalistic combat system. It doesn't have an interface at all and plays tricks on your mind constantly, including the feature of voice hearing so that you have binaural uh, binaural audios. You constantly hear voices coming from all directions while you play that game. It's very intense. It's a proper indie game because it's made entirely without a publisher. By now, they have been purchased by Microsoft, much to my despair. Yes. But what if Microsoft would say, or Sony would say, here, we're going to give you lots of money <laughs> and you make... You make a new Silent Hill game. You re-envision what Silent Hill is. Put in all the expertise that you have when it comes to storytelling, to making characters, to crafting worlds. Make a very small scale Silent Hill, which basically drags players through a cascade of, of various different forms of psychological horror. Oh, that would be that would great. Be fantastic. You know, there's, there's a reason that Silent Hill 2 is lauded as the best one. And I agree with that. And it's because Silent Hill 2 is the essence of the idea boiled down to its bare essentials and taken to its greatest heights. And the bare essentials of Silent Hill is that this is a place where you are confronted with your own trauma, your own demons. They show up as literal monsters, but it's unclear what's real and what isn't. And at the end of it, you kind of have to put things together for yourself. I think that if you just take that idea and give it to a developer that's shown that they can be 
effectively creepy and effectively kind of tormenting in the way that they set up the game. Beautiful. I would, I would love that. Give it to anybody who understands that. That's, <laughs> that's my philosophy with it. So that would mean, yeah, of course. Yeah. They also made Devil May Cry beforehand. So they also, they have shown in various different ways how mm. they can handle psychological horror and, and intriguing combat. One of the downsides yeah. that Silent Hill series always had is that its combat system was always very clunky. In Silent Hill 1 and 2, this kind of still plays into the charm of the games a little bit. In later installments, it became more of a chore. The more people realized that it's not going to improve, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think Silent Hill by Ninja Theory, that's my vision. Mm. I would love it. Well, my last one to round us out, I don't have a title. I don't have a game. I just want a collaboration between Suda51 and Hideo Kojima. So, <laughs> a match made in heaven. I think so. I know that there, I, I looked into this before this because I was seeing, did they have any collaboration? Because it almost seems like they, you almost think like, surely they must have, right? And they did have one endeavor. They, <laughs> Made, this is the most them thing. They made a radio play together. Of course. Uh, yeah. Of course they would. <laughs> so I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a real game. And I all I can think is that, to me, they seem very uh, similarly minded in terms of how they produce satire and how they take genre tropes and either turn them on their head or turn them up to 11. And I think like a game with the aesthetics of Lollipop Chainsaw, but with the story of a Hideo Kojima game would be a romp. And I would love to play. And the music would be fantastic. <laughs> no doubt. He didn't, he wasn't involved with that uh, small, that was also very lynchy and like a, a Japanese game that where you were a detective and you were like, <gasps> No. Investigating in a small. <laughs> no, that's it's not Suda Fifty One. No, that's Deadly Premonition. That's a guy named Sweary, I think. Ah, Deadly yeah. Premonition. Okay, I, I was I was misattributing it. <laughs> Although now that you mention it, if you threw him in there, I think it'd be pretty fun too. <laughs> yeah, all, all three, all three of them: Suda Fifty One, Sweary, Kojima, and yeah. Sweary, basically having like a weekend <laughs> where they are like just drinking and having fun and playing around with ideas and conceptualizing a game. That would definitely be. A very interesting one because Bring all on. three of them, I would say, are involved in the domain of satire, of commentary on U.S. American popular culture. This would be completely weird and very interesting. It would. In fact, I think if you took, and this is how I'll end it, if you took No More Heroes and you you took the American satire, the video game satire, you put in kojima's incredible gameplay and then you you threw in sweary's weirdness what a what a great weekend that would be <laughs> that would be that would be another game specifically for, for video us. game critics <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> here's someone that will be in the museum 10 years in the future <laughs> dear listeners out there i hope you enjoyed listening to our visions of mashups that do not exist. What are your ideas? Which kind of games would you like to mash? Which kind of game series and video game developers would be an excellent combination? Please let us know. You can reach out on studyingpixels.com slash contact. If you want to support us, 
then you can also get Studying Pixels Plus. This is where we provide you not only with monthly bonus episodes, but also a beautiful sticker that says, I am Studying Pixels. You can put it on your laptop, you can put it on your water flask, on your desk, or on some kind of lantern in the city to, you know, stick it over a annoying swastika that some kind of douchebag has scribbled on there. There you go. So that's one one way to use, make use of this sticker. We're looking forward to hear from you, and we will then talk again next week. See you then, everyone. See you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.